my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Math & Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. I did not own a computer in my first 18 years of my life. Within the first 25 minutes of me hearing coo, 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 within 25 minutes of being on AOL in 1994, I just knew that this thing that I was sitting in front of was gonna change the world. Hi, I'm Bob Pittman. Welcome to this episode of Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Today we have someone who knows a lot about those frontiers. He lives on the leading edge. He is not afraid of risks, and he breaks through again and again. Best-selling author, entrepreneur, CEO, marketer, thinker, speaker, podcaster, and video star, Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary was born in the Soviet Union, immigrated to the U.S. when he was young, and watched his family build success in a new country. He went from Queens to New Jersey and made his mark as a successful child entrepreneur, selling flowers back to his neighbor, lemonade stands, baseball cards, shoveling snow, and working at his dad's liquor and wine store. Throughout college and after college, he helped transform the family business from a $2 million a year revenue business to a $60 million a year revenue business 
in the process, developing his online marketing chops, which led to his current empire, anchored by VaynerMedia. He's the quickest guy on his feet and always has valuable insights, and he's a good guy. Gary, welcome. I really appreciate that, Bob. Happy 2021. It's really great to be with you. Before we dig into the meat, Gary, I want to do you in 60 seconds. You ready to go? Ready to go. Early riser or night owl? Uh, Night owl. New York or New Jersey? New York. Mets or Yankees? Yankees. Android or iPhone? iPhone. Call or text? Text. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Baseball or basketball? Basketball. Red wine or white wine? Uh, white wine. Chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. Cats or dogs? Cats. G.I. Joe or baseball cards? Baseball cards. It's about to get a little harder. Smartest person you know? My mom. Childhood a hero? A mix between Macho Man Randy Savage, Don Mattingly, and Patrick Ewing. Favorite podcast? I'm going to say Tim Ferriss's because... It was the one that emerged in that early era as a real cultural impact and started creating the possibilities of how big the genre could be for me. First job? The only job I really had was working my dad's liquor store, but I always think of my first job as selling lemonade, even though I was self-employed. Favorite food? English peas. (laughs) Secret talent? I can draw really well, and nobody knows that. Last one, what's your guilty pleasure? Candy bars. Specifically, whatchamacallit, though, Kit Kats and Butterfingers and Snickers and candy bars, for sure. (laughs) Let's get going. Let's get into the meat of things. You have had one of the most successful startups in the ad agency business in a world in which it's hard. How did you manage to break through? First of all, thank you for saying that, because it means a lot coming from you. And I think I broke through because I'm a good businessman. My thesis of consumer behavior was right and I knew nothing about Madison Avenue. And I think those are three incredibly intriguing ingredients and if I'm being self-assessing, I'll break them down quickly with the hope that somebody can use it as courage to jump into doing something that they feel like they want to do and they believe that they're capable of doing, but maybe on paper it doesn't look like it. I was a good operator, as you referenced earlier. You know, I built my dad's business. It was about a $3.8 million a year business and it went to $60 million in about seven or eight years. I thought I was a retailer. I thought I was a businessman. But when I really started to self-assess, I realized I was extremely good at marketing and I was very strong at operating and CEOing. But this talent of just genuinely understanding where the attention is going and how culture works. And I thought starting an agency would be a way to get paid to learn why the Fortune 500s were not doing what I saw was brewing on Netflix, Facebook, Amazon, and YouTube. So A, my timing was great. I started a social media agency right as people were starting to consider we needed this behavior and they did not believe the creative agencies that they were working with understood it, nor did the grays or the BBDOs even care about it. It was an afterthought. And to be very frank, Bob, and you know this, For the biggest creative agencies in the world today, the great ones, it's still an afterthought, which is perplexing to me, but understandable knowing the margins and the ecosystem. So A, my timing was good. B, I'm a good businessman. A lot of times artists or people that see things can't operate. So I was able to stay afloat those first three years when it was difficult to get clients. And then C, the bet ended up being ridiculously right. No different than the incredible things that have happened in your career. 
if you're good enough to get by in the first 24 to 36 months of innovation and stay alive, if you end up being right, you're in a position to catch all the opportunity. And then I evolved. You know, we evolved from just doing community management on social to VaynerMedia New York did the most Super Bowl spots in last year's Super Bowl as a creative agency. We had three spots. So we've evolved into a full service creative and media and I've continued to innovate, whether it's podcasting or influencing influencers or being best in class on TikTok. Communication's changing and I'm sure if we look in the history of the people that won television when we were transitioning from radio or which agencies, Razorfish, AKQA, won the internet when we were transitioning into that world, you know, this is a historic story of Madison Avenue. Who's the man or woman that comes along that understands the next communication change best and is she and he capable of building an organization around it? And I think I'm gonna get a lot of credit one day historically about being that person for this social media OTT kind of like big shift in the maturity of the internet and how it affected advertising. It's interesting you say that because on Math & Magic, we've talked some about those moments in time and I was there for some of them when the cable networks became a viable advertising medium in the late 1980s and I was there when the internet sort of broke through and when I went to AOL in 1990. Six, I think we had a couple of million dollars of advertising. We left, we had two or three billion of advertising. So it all happened in the 90s. And you're right, the established players don't really jump on the new very quickly and creates a huge opportunity. And you've been that. So let's talk a second about that. At the heart of that is really having an open mind and also thinking about creativity in a very new way. When you look at creativity, which clearly you did when you you built this, what do most people get wrong about creativity? I think that most people get wrong in giving freedom to actually be creative. Ultimately, creativity is best when it's free and allows the end consumer to judge. And everything that happens in between it, debating, politics, subjective opinions treated as truth, reporting and other math trying to be deployed against it to be a benchmarking system. Creativity is, it's a process of finding right far more than a process of being right. And I think modern advertising tries to be right and push down. A friend of mine hit me up the other day and was listening to Jerry Seinfeld talk about how he creates his set. And he's like, oh my God, Gary, he does your volume model. He goes around and does small clubs, testing material gets a feel of what humans react to, bubbles up, bubbles up, bubbles up. That's been my entire career. In an internet fast world, perfection is the enemy. Subjective perfection is the cancer. When you think about the new forms, Facebook, TikTok, et cetera, how do you think about risk in that world and how do you think they're different from the risk in advertising prior? I think there's a stunning amount of risk with coming up with a brief, having a strategist come up with a strategy, handing it to a creative team internally, them coming up with subjective ideas, then pitching it to a CMO or a brand manager and making a six to seven figure creative output and then having no clean feedback loop of any say whatsoever. And then all of your digital assets usually become matching luggage to this creative piece that you've made. I think it's the highest risk, most ludicrous process in a 2021 world. When I think about social and digital and even OTT commercials that give you so much more data, 
I think about driving down the cost of creative to allow you to have far more opportunities to be much more relevant to many different constituents instead of the vanilla 30 second video. There is nothing more risky on earth today than being a Fortune 5000 company that spends money on making a commercial and putting it out into the world. In your world, how do you put that commercial out and cut all that out of the process so you go much more from idea to consumer? The way we mitigate it is if you're, let's just use Kit Kats, we don't work with them. It's a candy company, we referenced it earlier. I believe what Kit Kats needs to do is create a conversation around addressable customers, what I call cohorts. They need to create 10 to 15 to 20 of them because as you can imagine, Bob, you and I with a couple of gray hairs, if we're still kind of fancying a little Kit Kat bar once in a while, they're gonna need to talk to us in a very different manner than they're trying to achieve with an 18 year old Latino woman on the West Coast, right? And what brands and companies are not doing well is contextualizing in multiple places to create a bigger brand. Instead, what they do is get very narrow. The thought that KitKat is gonna spend 80% of its money on its TVC and then digital banners that support that campaign and its brand positioning, to me is nuts because first of all, the distribution, most people are not consuming actually with any of the tension and intent a TVC. And that goes to be equally true, if not slightly more, for banner ads on the internet. To me, the way you do it is you take advantage of social media in its current form, which is a media and creative place. You create the 15 cohorts, 45 to 55 year old males on the East Coast from a nostalgic place, baseball enthusiasts, Latino males in Texas, black males into surfing in California. What these cohorts allow you to do is have much more teeth around the creative and then you run them in a social media environment because the ads run in the feed and are more native and feel less disruptive and feel more in place of what you're consuming in your feed. And if you know you're targeting black male surfing enthusiasts in California, you can imagine what that Instagram post for KitKat looks like. That's gonna give people relevance and consideration. They're gonna consider KitKats because they're gonna see themselves in that video picture if you're a brand as big as KitKat, it's about making 50 pieces of creative a week, three to four per cohort, and looking at the quant and qual feedback against depletion reports at 7-Eleven and you know, bulk sales on box.com or Amazon or Walmart. So use business feedback loops, look at the qualitative feedback, the comments, use a post-creative strategist as I call it, to read all those comments to inform better content the next week. Everything I just said is the polar opposite of what's being done in measurability, in distribution, in where the money's being spent. And I'm just much more common sense, practical, business oriented. This is not how the big six holding companies navigate or the Fortune 500 biggest brands navigate. I'm going to add to your story, Gary. You know, we're in the business at iHeart. We happen to have 850 radio stations in 150 markets. It's always surprised me that advertisers think we can have one voice, one sound, that there's somehow this national code words that people respond to as opposed to understanding that actually every city, every region, in addition to the culture, the diversity of people, ideas, and culture, even within those cities. And of course, the biggest problem for so many years was the cost of producing advertising, but as you point out today, with the cost going down, the rules probably can change because I think everyone recognizes they should. We did something years and years ago with American Express Small Business Saturday. We did 350 different pieces of creative. So we found the small business person in every city and they talked in their language with their accent 
with the slang they used for their city. What you just talked about was context at scale. Scale is gonna come now from 5,000 jelly beans instead of one super jelly bean. And most brands and definitely every agency is not built for that. And I have empathy for the agencies. They're publicly traded companies and they need to drive margin. And they are completely built upside down to be able to deliver on the amount of creative needed to be a successful 2021 brand. They have all their most expensive people at the top and they bill against that. And they need to have all their people at the bottom and make against that. That is a transformation that is going to be very fascinating to watch the biggest advertising firms in the world go through. Well, you know, the content companies went through this many, many years ago when we started MTV in the early 80s. TV before that always tried to make every show look like it was in middle America. So there's sort of a quote unquote, typical American family, typical American fashion. If you go back and look in the early 80s, fashion just blew up because suddenly the mass the people around the country saw something other than a TV programmer's idea of what the typical American family should look like. And I think what you're arguing for is that's accelerating and accelerating in advertising even more. What you were part of was the revolution of going from 13 to 36 channels, right? Sounded like a lot back then. I remember it was 36 channels exactly on my first 1984 cable package. That gave the freedom to show more, so many more hours had been added to the ecosystem and led to the iconic executions of the 80s of MTV, ESPN, and CNN, and some others. Of course, On Demand has made that even more possible. I don't have to join in progress CNN schedule. I can get exactly what I want when I want it. But it was certainly the first step along that way. And it all revolves around one thing with consumers, convenience. They want control. They want what they want when they want it. If you can save people time, they'll pay you money for it. 100%. We'll be right back with more Math & Magic after this quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. 
So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my from this idea of, what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Math & Magic, and now more from my conversation with Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary, let's go back in time some. I want to get a little context on you. You were born in Belarus and came to the U.S. when you were four. How has that immigrant experience helped you succeed? I think accountability and gratitude are the two foundational blocks that make me who I am. And they came directly because of the circumstances of my life. I came over when I was three and a half. We lived in a studio apartment in Queens with eight family members. My mom by nature is frugal. I just grew up in an environment where materialistic things had no value. It shaped me. If I wanted things, I had to get my own money. I grew up as a schmata son of a merchant. I want Nintendo. Everybody has it. Well, my mom looks at me and says, get it. This is what led me to lemonade, shoveling snows. My work ethic is extraordinary because I like it, but I was also trained to do it. I think there's something that comes along with lack of entitlement and lack of spoilage. I really like accountability because when you get to the top, whether it's a three-person team or you build a huge business or life or career, Accountability is an incredible gateway to happiness. I'm very grateful for everything I have, Bob, every day. Being an immigrant has an incredible starting point to allow you to have a lot of privileges that being born on third base does not necessarily always give you the same advantages. Not that I haven't seen people born on third base 
realize self-awareness and gratitude, but it's just a lot easier when you come from dirt to appreciate caviar. This provides a lot of context on who you are, Gary. You talk a lot about the New York Jets. They seem to play a pivotal role in your Americanization. How did that happen and why? I was picked on as a kid for not speaking the language. And then I moved to Edison. My friends there, they took me in. They didn't pick on me or make fun of me for my accent. Or at that point, I was just starting to really get the English language down. They took me in and their great passion was football and the New York Jets. And I started watching in that 82 season. They go on to the AFC Championship game, the game before the Super Bowl. It was a lot of fun. It was a common bond. My friends all had Jets jerseys and I asked my mom for one. She said, no. And then at night when I was sleeping, she knitted me a Jet sweater that looked like a jersey out of yarn. It was my prized possession. I wore it almost every day. I have it in a safety deposit box in a fireproof setting right now because it's the most important thing to me in my life. And I haven't stopped watching. I've watched every play, every snap of every game since then. In third grade or fourth grade was the first time I said I was going to buy the New York Jets. And I just kept saying it. And then it just kind of became this beautiful fairy tale. My great enjoyment is the chase, the thrill of the hunt to see if I'm capable of achieving a child who wasn't able to afford owning a Jets jersey, buying the New York Jets and hanging that sweater as a nod to my hero, my mom and my dad. America's got plenty of shortcomings as does everything, but what a country. Like. I couldn't afford in 1984 a $25 Jets jersey. I am now the CEO, chairman, and owner of the New York Jets. The attempt to try to buy the New York Jets is my great love. It makes a hell of a story, too. Let's make the transition to you as the business person you are today. You said that thanks to some college dorm mates, you discovered the internet, which led you to building a website for your dad's store. And at that point... There were very few liquor stores nationwide with websites. What did you see that made you think your dad's store needed one? At that point, I did not own a computer in my first 18 years of my life. I just knew, Bob, within the first 25 minutes of me hearing coo-coo-coo, within 25 minutes of being on AOL in 1994, I just knew that this thing that I was sitting in front of was going to change the world. My dad should sell wine on this thing. And that became the starting point of me transforming my dad's life and business. When you were going through this process, you had quite a success with your dad's store. Did you think at the whole time, I'm in the internet marketing business, or did you think you were actually in the wine and spirits business? I thought I was in the wine and spirits business all the way up until 2005. I thought I was a retailer businessman. I'd won on email marketing. I was early, 90% open rates in the mid to late 90s. I was on Google AdWords day one, killing it on that. I advertised on the early iteration of blogs in 2003, doing quite well with banner click-throughs. But it was YouTube coming out, me starting a YouTube show, Wine Library TV in 2006, less than a year after it came out. And within the first year that I was on YouTube, Google bought YouTube for $1.7 billion. That 1.7 billion for something that was around for a year like YouTube, You remember seeing that number and thinking, geez, right? I mean, it seemed crazy at the time. Today, it seems like such a deal and such a steal. 
when Facebook bought Instagram, I went on Pierce Morgan on CNN and said they stole it for a billion dollars. It was 550 days old. And I think that's gonna end up going down as one of the great all-time M&A deals ever. And it's because of what I learned with YouTube. It's pattern recognition. The podcast shift with iHeart, like it's just pattern recognition, being agnostic and unemotional, just being religious about consumer attention. I think one of the problems you see when something's new is not seeing how big it actually can be. When Viacom bought MTV Networks, we tried to buy it in a management buyout. Viacom got it. I said I'd go along with it, signed a new five-year deal, and I did a five-year plan for them. I didn't stay the five years. About five years later, I'm doing something else, and I get an envelope, and I open it up, and it's from Jerry Laybourne, who was running Nickelodeon. And she circled the last year of the five-year plan, and the note said, what, you didn't believe? I had put down numbers that five years out the Viacom guys thought I was crazy. Five years later, it was too small. And that was the first time it really hit me. And of course, whether it was AOL or, as you say, Facebook, TikTok, etc., our biggest mistake usually is we underestimate how big it's going to be. You were very smart. You made some very early investments. I think you put your entire savings in 2006 into a few companies, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. Do you think you're seeing size that others don't see? I know that Oculus and Google Home or Alexa or whoever wins the battle of VR or in-home AI voice devices that dominate consumer behavior. Oh my God, in 15 years, I'm going to be 60, a young man with unlimited fire and ambition. And I'm going to have the last 40 years of pattern recognition. And when I bet my farm, like I did in 2000 six on social, well, I'm gonna have more money, more impact, more leverage. This is why I built VaynerMedia and VaynerX. My entire agency and publishing ecosystem is completely predicated for me to own it in perpetuity and deploy it against my other business buying behavior. So I've been playing very long. I'm a high energy guy that you know seems hyper and over the top for people, but my business behaviors have been extremely turtle-esque, very calculated and slow, and I'm plotting and I'm being thoughtful and I already can see things that are going to happen, not might happen, and I'm putting down the foundations to take advantage of it. Probably the biggest issue you've got as you age, I certainly did, is that although our pattern recognition gets a whole lot better, if we're not careful, and I think most people aren't careful, our world begins to narrow as to what we've been and where we've been. But I think you have to begin to do some things that are a shock to the system that push you to see things you haven't seen to keep the blinders from coming on. You don't want to lose this open-mindedness you've got that's caused you to see all this. I think that people, when they start putting real success on the board, do a poor job deploying humility and curiosity and leaning into youth culture because the answers are in those three ingredients. And for me at 45, I've never been more humble, never been more curious and never been more youthful. And that's why I feel more enthusiastic of my ability to be good at the things I've been, even though I'm no longer in the kid land, I'm kind of in that middle land. In my experience, it's very hard to teach anybody curiosity. They either have it or they don't. But what I do think happens sometimes is people get afraid to use their curiosity. Once they get a little successful, they're embarrassed they don't know something. They're embarrassed to ask the stupid question. And I think you're exactly right. Not only is it great for business, but it's also great for a sense of self-fulfillment 
and a sense of accomplishment and keeping you stimulated. When I was able to convert into the man I am today, who doesn't nod his head and say, yeah, when he doesn't know something like I did in my 20s and even into my 30s, but now says, hey, I don't know what that acronym stands for, or what do you mean there? Or, hey, I'm actually a little bit undereducated on that, even though I have the profile that I have. When you get to that place in your life that you're able to deploy that, you become happier because the anxiety of faking the funk or any version of it, it's just not worth it. Gary, I want to jump a minute because this is about podcasting and obviously iHeart is, is a company built on audio. Audio is really hot now, finally. And you were preaching it really early. What did you see that caused you to know that people were maybe running out of time for their eyes but have plenty of time for their ears or that they really liked conversations and wanted to hear about it? That people go to dinner parties and enjoy it to no end, that people go to conferences and get a table of eight and shoot the shit, and that time and friction are the things that customers thought about. You said a brilliant thing that I'm sure has been foundational in your career, which is if you give them time, they'll give you money. It became very obvious to me that the remote control of our society is the phone. Oh my God, the experience of audio consumption now because of these three to four major players is so remarkable we're busier than ever, multitasking more than ever, love the idea of running, walking the dog, commuting, and consuming what we want, a la the internet, not what they give us, a la radio forcing us or a la television forcing us into some limitations. Unlimited choice will always win. And oh my God, it's so low cost for personalities to get in here and do things. And oh, look at the good job that Tim Ferriss or Pat Flynn or others are doing here. It's just gonna happen, I know it, I have conviction. And so then when I have conviction, I go and taste it. I start my own top 100 podcast. I pay attention to the other people that are popping in it. I start building those shows, Mom Brain, the CMO podcast with Stengel. I'm a practitioner, not just a hypothesis guy. And so that's where expertise comes in. So you have this quick hypothesis, I see things early. I then have no fear in the value of attacking it immediately. I'm not scared to lose the money if I'm wrong because the learnings will be too valuable in the long term. I then learn, now I'm speaking with triple conviction and you then become a thought leader and executor of modern consumer behavior. Why are marketers so hooked on the video form when they know it's the conversation that sells, they know it's the dinner party, they know it's the best friend telling you something. Why does video still rule the roost in terms of ad dollars? Because the six holding companies that deploy most of their capital to your platform and many others make more margin in television commercials. There's nothing less based on the truth of what customers are doing than what the Fortune 500 companies are spending their media dollars on. I say that with respect and understanding and compassion of how it got there, but it is my greatest belief. If you are Hershey's and you wanna sell chocolate, the allocation that iHeart and its four major competitors get in a 2021 consumer behavior world versus how much money Bravo or ESPN or Fox gets in television commercial distribution is so lacking common sense and business acumen, it's unbearable to me but it's just the truth. You know, the whole world's talking about politics, this election cycle, et cetera. I don't want to talk about it from that angle. But looking at this election cycle, what does that tell us about marketing? There's a lot there. Um, is there any confusion how the former president of the United States built leverage with the end consumer? He went direct to consumer. This is something that I have 
absolutely pioneered and spoke about and wrote a book in 2008 that came out in 09 that spoke about this exact phenomenon. The ability for people to start their own podcast. Even, by the way, you don't even need Amazon, Apple, and Facebook. You can get your own servers. You can make your websites and your apps mobile-centric. Like What society is asking big tech companies to regulate, the internet has independent URLs and proxies all day long. There's message boards unlimited. There's websites unlimited. There will be millions of live stream and live audio and audio and video platforms that pop up on top of the internet all the time that have different points of view. The internet is the middleman. Once people get off the bandwagon of Facebook and social media and realize internet, it's going to be really interesting because I think people that are looking for democracy, happiness, good may find themselves in a place where they're asking government to regulate internet in a much more aggressive way like they do in China and Russia. And it's all fine and dandy when you like the leader of your country regulating at the time. But in America's case, four or eight years later, do you like that? I mean, we're going through major societal changes, Bob. And I think we're having very basic conversations based on Netflix social dilemma documentary and the political nature of where we are. And I find them to be very surface level debates that lack accountability around parenting and what you do in your own home and lack a deep understanding of how the tech stacks are actually built and where this is all really, really, really going. And even the capabilities of restricting communication on an overlay of the internet. There's a lot of chess moves that are happening, but ultimately, to answer your question, it means that people and companies and organizations need to realize the way to get people to be interested in you is to have a far more contemporary internet-centric communication structure, which I think sits in podcasting, in OTT commercials, and definitely in social media. Let me go back to you. You're a pretty self-aware guy. If you could give your 21-year-old self some good advice, what would that advice be? Don't run away from candor just because your father delivered it in a very negative way. And it's actually the final ingredient that you need for you as a man and a communicator that will take you to where you want to go. I hope your next career is as a therapist, Gary. You do this very well. We're coming to an end. and We end each episode with a shout out to the greats of math and magic, because I believe marketing is that combination of the analytics, understand what's going on, who's where and what, and then the magic, which is the sheer creativity. Okay, I got them. I know where they are, but I got to tell them something that's going to motivate them. In most cases, two separate skill sets. Some people have both, but very rare. Who would be your vote for the best in math and the analytics of the marketing and advertising world or even business world? I'm very fond of Wish the retail shopping app and those individuals, I think they most understood my thesis and built a multi-billion dollar retailer that most people still don't even realize exists, completely based on incredible math-centric art that allowed them to be the biggest of them all. That really stands out. Talk to me about magic. Who gets your vote for the best magic? I'm going to give you somebody who's emerging in magic for me. There's an influencer by the name of Mr. Beast who I think is subtly building some of the most interesting magic. And the way he's layering business and fun and entertainment over himself, I believe that if I was a full-time influencer the way he is, 
and not spending 15 hours a day being an operator that I would have some of the nuances that he's got. And so it's very obvious when you see your own. And I think he's going to be put on a pedestal in the next 15 years in a way that he isn't today. I hope we can invest in him. Gary, you're a legend and you always make for great conversations and have wonderful insights. Thanks for the time today. Thank you, Bob. Here are four takeaways from my conversation with Gary. One, Gary believes the best creative ideas come through testing and iteration. Just like Seinfeld, Gary tests and refines his ideas with new audiences over time. Two, Gary believes advertising should be relevant in multiple contexts. With a low cost for creative, brands are missing an opportunity when they don't target different consumers in different ways. Three, even if you're successful now, stay humble and stay curious. You'll need those skills to stay relevant in the future. And four, if you see a trend early, go for it. As Gary says, even if you're wrong, what you learn will be valuable. Thanks for listening. I'm Bob Pittman. That's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to Math and Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. The show is hosted by Bob Pittman. Special thanks to Sue Schillinger for booking and wrangling our wonderful talent, which is no small feat. Nikki Etor for pulling research, Bill Plax and Michael Azar for their recording help, our editor Ryan Murdoch, and of course, Gail, Raul, Eric, Angel, Noel, Mango, and everyone who helped bring this show to your ears. Until next time. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia, and you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. <laughs> You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.